Hello, welcome to Payne's Plough's Insights. Insights is a new series of podcasts live from the Payne's Plough rehearsal room where our director and playwright reflect on the week's progress, featuring a different guest each week. The following content may contain occasional strong language. Hello, welcome to episode two of You Stupid Podcast. My name is James Grieve. I am directing the world premiere of You Stupid Darkness, new play by Sam Steiner at the Theatre Royal Plymouth in co-production with my company, Payne's Plough. And You Stupid Podcast is our weekly peek behind the scenes of our rehearsals as we work towards uh, the world premiere on the 12th of February. Thanks for uh, listening into episode two. I hope you enjoyed last week. With me once again is uh, Sam Steiner, who wrote the play. Hi, Sam. Hi, James. Uh, also, special guests this week. Uh, we promised we'd bring, uh, bring some special guests in for you every week. Uh, and this week, I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, Freddie Crossley, who is our assistant director. Hi, Freddie. Hello. Uh, and Rosie Morgan, who is our assistant stage manager. Hi, Rosie. Hi. Hi. Uh, so, last week, in episode one, uh, Sam and I had a chat about everything that happened from the point of the commission of the play almost exactly two years ago up until the first week of rehearsal which was last week we're now this is we're, we're sitting at Payne's Plough on Friday lunchtime at the end of week two uh, Sam how's it going? Yeah it's going really well I think I'm surprised by how quickly we're getting through it I think we're moving quite efficiently um, and we've covered more ground than I necessarily thought we would at this point I was what. I think beforehand I thought the rehearsals might end up being quite technical just because of the nature of the play and they haven't been and yet we've managed to, I think, get close to something that feels like a really well organised structure for the actors to play with. So we've just got to a point where we're starting to run little sections. So just before lunch we did a run of week one which is I suppose like a fifth of the play. And it's still pretty perfunctory, isn't it, in the, in the sense that we don't have a lot of the props and we're just in the little rehearsal room at Payne's Plough. But, um, but how does... It, I suppose you were talking last week about leaving the characters that you'd imagined for two years yeah. and, and sort of tuning into the actors that we have in, in physical actuality in the room. How is it now, at the end of week two, seeing scene one of your play sort of run together? Yeah, it's, it's a really strange... Process. It, this is going to sound really lovely, but uh, I, had a, I had a moment the other day. I think when you're in rehearsals, you're so focused on the end product and so focused on, oh, well, we need to get it to there and they need to, you know, they, they need to know what they're doing and when they're, mo- when they're doing the scene changes or whatever. I had a moment the other day where I was like, you know what, it's quite rare for a writer to be in a rehearsal. Like, it's... The amount of time that writer spends rehearsing their play, as part of their daily, as a part of their life, is quite small, yeah, and quite rare that it comes around. Like as, as you said, the commission was like two years ago, and it's only just come into the rehearsal room. And so I was sitting there going, "Yeah, we've got to think about the final product, but at the same time, we've got four great actors and a great director." doing my play and I should just actually enjoy that (laughs) rather than just thinking about okay well that this needs to get better or this line doesn't quite work right now I just I was I just sat there and was like I need to just enjoy it and and are you able to enjoy it because I imagine like it's your you know it's absolutely your play it's your characters and your story and then suddenly all these other people come in and start 
having opinions about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how does, how does that feel? Yeah, are you are. Obviously, it's kind of, it's a weird one because it's both um, so like humbling and exciting to see people talk about it and work on it with as much dedication and talent and creativity as, as everyone's brought to it. Um, but it's often, you know, you have to throw loads of stuff at the wall for it to figure out what works. And obviously some of that stuff is stuff that is very different to what I imagined. And that can be excruciating, <laughs> but it's all, but it's, it's like the weirdest mixture of things because it's both the most exciting thing and sometimes the most like uncomfortable thing yeah. ever. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a roller coaster, I guess. A roller coaster. Uh. Um, uh, you have done quite a bit of rewriting this week. Mm. Just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so we've quite, yeah, quite a bit. M- less structural stuff and more kind of quite detailed, forensic-y, um, line-by-line rewriting. Just to, I think... Mostly it's been about clarifying things or making sure that moments are as as well articulated as possible, I think, really. Um, Sometimes it's responding to the actors, right? There's this interesting thing about yeah. spending time with this specific group of people performing the play and I, I, I sense sometimes that you're responding to what they're doing in the room. And yeah, I mean, sometimes quite literally, like, we got... David and, and and Drew to do a bit of improvisation the other day and I just nicked one of David's lines and put it straight into the script. Yeah, yeah. Um, because uh, yeah, just be, I mean just because they're they're in the moment and they're doing that in the moment and that can release a very interesting tension that I just hadn't thought of. Um, I, I guess why I love working on new plays because having the play right in the room means that the play can respond to the creativity that's happening in the room and I think if you're doing the seagull it, you know you, you have to get this you have to just do the seagull yeah, whereas, yeah, you yeah. Know, it feels here like there, there is a great meeting of play yeah. and a, a really talented group of actors and totally. something really exciting and magical is happening I think there's just nothing better like we've had a few moments where the actors have done something and we've turned to each other and gone God, that's good. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, cool. Let's, yeah. let's yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. And that's yeah. the most exciting. That feels really thrilling, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, we just sit there and, and just yeah, make, like, them oh, do it, yeah. make them do it again yeah, until something exactly. amazing happens, and then we're like, yeah. I think I think that's the best part of the whole process. Those moments where you realise, those moments where you find something new, and you're like, oh, hold on, that could be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose week two of a rehearsal process is that point where we find you sort of are finding lots and lots of new things Um, we briefly talked last week about how weirdly formatted the play was so that it didn't break into units I'm going to bring Freddie in because um, our rehearsal room uh, at the moment is the walls are absolutely covered with bits of paper Um, one whole wall is the entire play, all 122 pages of it, printed out and stuck on the wall. Um, why, Freddie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess um, I did that. <laughs> because you asked me to... You, you suggested that it would be really useful to be able to see the, 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 uh, the sections of the play 
uh, all at once because they they run uh, yeah because they're, they're, there's three columns have you talked about this before yeah, in your previous yeah. and uh, and they run beyond you know they run at different lengths the the sections that we've created and so they, they the in order in order to kind of see the whole in relation to the other ones uh, it seems useful I think to have that on the wall so they've got these kind of multiple colour coded system uh, mm -hmm. I think you compared me you said oh you suggested that if, if this didn't work out I could be a detective maybe yes <laughs> I mean I didn't I didn't mean to suggest for a second that it wouldn't work <laughs> it undoubtedly will work out um, uh, yes so the idea was that uh, rather like a musical score each actor is playing if you imagine each actor is playing a different instrument it's really hard to visualize the entirety of your part because on the same page as your part are all these other staves of music being played by other other parts of the orchestra so the thought was what what if we if we tried to visualize it as a sort of as as one entire thing and freddie brilliantly has um has used different colors for each character to kind of create a colour-coded route through the play. Um, there's also a colour-coded synopsis on the wall. Brilliant. How did you make that? <laughs> well, uh, I guess the challenge was to write a synopsis of the play, uh, a simple stage-by-stage uh, um, -stage synopsis of the play, which sounds a simple task, but in this scenario is a less simple task because there's so many different things happening at once. And so I, I kind of decided riffing on something that Sam had said where he couldn't perhaps quite fit four columns into the uh, onto a page that what happens if I give each character a, a kind of column and uh, and so each character does have a column and very very simply states what's going on at each stage at each moment and when those conversations when conversations happen or interactions happen between two or more characters, these columns merge uh, according to their appropriate colours. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a proper head fuck, isn't it? But it's amazing work and it's really, really helped the actors and indeed me um, to make sense of the play and to, and to visualise the play in sort of manageable bite size chunks and uh, and to work out the kind of logical chronological order of all the events that they have in the play um is this a usual thing that an assistant director gets asked to do <laughs> not maybe not this because this is clearly an, a, a a different kind of play but that kind of very detailed work overnight you've been doing it outside of the room and coming back in the morning is that is that um typical of an assistant director's role yeah, I think so. I think so. I before I started assistant directing, I really didn't know how to use an Excel spreadsheet particularly effectively. I still can't do the maths of it, but uh, using that <laughs> software in order to achieve similar tasks is definitely <laughs> something that uh, I have picked up from assistant directing jobs. If you want to be an excellent whiz, kids, <laughs> become an assistant director. And yeah. um, what else is your role involved in the last two weeks? How has it been? So you're sitting on a desk. Just to describe the rehearsal room, we've got a, we've got a row of desks at one end of the room, uh, w at which I sit and Sam sits and Carrie, who is our 
DSM, Deputy Stage Manager, sits, and Annie, who's our movement director, and Freddie, our assistant director, so we're all sort of sitting there, and the actors have the rest of the room to, to play in. Um, what else has your role involved? Well, I, uh, yeah, I guess um, generally my, my role is, is about being really forensic and detailed and making sure that things don't slip through the net and that, and that as much information can be held and kept and looked after and represented to you as possible, basically to be as useful as I can possibly imagine that I can be. Um, that's one part of it, I guess, to be present and to be a positive presence in the room to, to laugh appropriately. <laughs> yes, that was funny. Yes. Um, uh, you did an incredibly useful thing for me last night, completely unprompted, which was to, uh, to sort of typed up stuff that has been talked about in quite casual conversations in the room uh, and sent it to me as an aid memoir. And I was hugely grateful because there were several things in that document that I had forgotten we talked about that were, were really useful. Um, so yeah, that, that role of collating information and making sure that things don't get lost is really important. And the other thing you're amazing at is, um, is a kind of uh, pastoral care of the actors and just being available to the actors. So um, tell us uh, briefly about the French <laughs> lesson you were doing yesterday with Lydia <laughs> and, and why you were doing a French lesson with Lydia. <laughs> Um, well, Lydia has to sing La Vie en Rose, um, uh, and it's actually Sam and I attempted to translate this, which would uh, give away the fact that I'm not actually very good at French, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, uh, and my pronunciation is, is somewhere within my memory, and uh, Lydia was wondering how to pronounce these things. It's easy enough to listen to the track, but to, to know what words uh, Edith Piaf is saying at p particular moments is perhaps difficult if you're not familiar with the language. So there I was writing phonetically out on a piece of paper French pronunciation. Um, which is so you need to be a polymath and an Excel spreadsheet specialist. Yeah. <laughs> and earlier I walked into the room and you appeared to be doing something with the trombone. Yeah. What and why? <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. We were like, imagine if Freddie just picked up the trombone and played it perfectly. And then he just did. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I, I should emphasise that perfectly in this scenario, uh, John plays the trombone very, very, very badly. So perfectly equals very, very, very bad. So... That is not as much of a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you're coming out of this podcast really well. Everyone should hire for supremely talented. Um, and of course, understudies, understudies the actors as well. And understudies the actors, of course, yes. So yes, great. So who have you understudied so far? I've done Andrew. Yeah. And uh, Lydia. Lydia. Uh, uh, it's really hard. Uh, the actors are pretty amazing to be able to process this level of detail and the choreography of vocal, yeah, of, of speech. It's so many able acting lines, aren't they? It makes it incredibly complicated. Really, really like, yeah, I, I, I 
Um, obviously, uh, we, at Payne's Crown, we, we do not have actual understudies. So whenever an actor is not in the ring for whatever reason, uh, maybe they're at an audition or something else, um, Freddie gallantly steps in. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope that he won't be called upon during the run to don a costume and actually <laughs> take on the role, but you never know. Um, thank you. Freddie, so uh, meanwhile, Rosie, you haven't been in the rehearsal room. What have you been doing? Um, I've mostly been trying to find all the props to which there are so many. How so many have you got? Have you got like a spreadsheet? With yeah, I've got a spreadsheet. I don't know how how many exactly because I've not counted, <laughs> but there's a lot. Just like a lot of little things that you don't necessarily think about, but then when you look in, like walk into an office space and it's just empty. That's just not actually how they are. So it's just full of random things you wouldn't think of. What kind of things? Oh, well, things like rubber band balls that come out that c- comes out of rehearsals all the time, and it's like, oh yeah, there's like a small kitchen area, and like, although like nothing is listed in the script, if it isn't full, you you'd notice, you'd be like, it doesn't look like a kitchen area. So we've got things like teammates coming and random bits of broken down kitchenware that we've just found just to fill it, so that we can just give the designer a box and she can just be like, oh, I like this, I don't like this, and then play essentially. The rubber band ball, I should explain. So this was an idea that came from Lydia Larson, who's playing Angie. Uh, they all have to, they're, because they're, the play's set in a call centre, they're all sitting at their desks for quite a lot of the play. And so the actors naturally are wanting things to do. And Lydia sort of said, why doesn't Angie, make, over the course of the play, make an elastic band ball? Which is kind of a brilliant idea. So that's the kind of stuff that comes out of rehearsals, in, a re- in rehearsal notes at the end of the day. And it's like, Rosie, can we have an elastic band ball? <laughs> Luckily I'd made one before and I was like, I've got this. <laughs> this I can do. What's the weirdest prop you've had to source so far? For this show? Or, or maybe ever. What's the weirdest prop you've had to ever? source ever? Or I've had to do... So I just did pantomime and that's like an interesting one. They're like, could we get some chest hair? And you're like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. For this, I think... A lot of the edible props are difficult because one of our company members is vegan, so you can't just go buy like a fifteen p donut from down the road. You have to think about it all. And so, What's, what, so tell us all of the things that the actors have to eat in the play. There's two sandwiches. There's donuts. There's rice cakes. There's peanut butter. I don't think the jaffa cakes are actually eaten, but they're mentioned. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And they so might just... be eaten by the creative team. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> It's just a lot. <laughs> so, Sam, back to you, because we talked last week a lot about the kind of two years leading up to the first day of rehearsals. Do you, it's a genuine question, do you think about this when you write in, like, loads of props and loads of food yeah. and, like, there's a kitchen? Yeah. Did it ever cross your mind that Rosie would have to then, like, source all this stuff and find all Absolutely not, no. <laughs> uh, as, uh, <laughs> no. I think one of the... One of the bizarre things about watching like coming into the kitchen you're just like tearing your hair out in the corner just going oh I need to find this uh, like a a specific kind of gas mask or figure out how to make a kettle launch in the air and stuff like that I'm like god I just wrote that on a whim (laughs) Um, so kettle is a good one so the kettle I mean this is a massive spoiler but hey um, the kettle explodes uh, and that is down. That's just a stage direction. It just says the kettle explodes. Yeah, it's thanks. thanks Sam. To me, to me, about five seconds to type. Right, and, and then what happens is that 
you, Rosie, and Carrie, our DSM, um, uh, have to come up with a solution for that. Uh, and you have sh- shown me like amazing videos of experiments that you've been doing in evenings of making a <laughs> blade. So talk us through that. Like what, how are we going to make a Kevlar blade? So currently, our current thought is cutting a little hole in the set with put the, putting the kettle essentially on a plank of wood and then I kick it as hard as I can and it launches into the air. There's a bit more mechanics to it, but that's essentially the basics of And there's going to be like a pile underneath it, yeah, so it looks like a, a pile Yeah, there's there. like a little spark and then hopefully some maybe some compressed air to make it look like an electrical burns happened but coming down to it it's essentially a bit of wood and me kicking it <laughs> and it just has an amazing effect like it just genuinely looks like a kettle's explosion. You make it sound really simple but actually there is an enormous amount of complexity that goes into uh, designing that as an operation. Ultimately what happens is you're just going to kick a bit of wood yeah. but actually there's quite a lot of science <laughs> that goes into it. Uh, things I love about theatre number 752. <laughs> the fact that, that all of the magic that happens is, is actually the process mm. of a load of human brains, yeah. a lot of head scratching, a lot of experimenting um, and a lot of just sort of ingenuity. If this was a film, we'd just like CGI it. <laughs> Boring. Yeah, um, it's stuff like the the funny one for me today is we're going through week one. There's a stage direction in week one that says a kettle, a kettle boils, and at a very specific point in the script, and it was like, like all of us just putting our heads together, going, how can we make it? How can we time it so it boils at that moment? <laughs> and it's such a it's it you know it takes no time to write and it sounds really simple and yet takes a load of people <laughs> thinking really practically to make it work. So you spent two years making these guys four weeks of rehearsals hell. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Yeah, very <laughs> um, We very should welcome. wrap it up uh, because it's nearly half past two and we need to go back into rehearsals. That was episode two of You Stupid Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with another episode behind the scenes at the end of week three. Next week, we're moving to Plymouth to the Theatre Royal's beautiful rehearsal rooms. So we'll be speaking to you from there. Thanks for listening. Thank you.